to Matthew chapter 1. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. We have just finished up with a series on Ruth and what a beautiful book that is. And I hope that, I hope that you're able to hide that word in your heart um, so that you won't sin against God as the Bible says. And now we're going to do a little bit of a, a shift and yet we're still going to keep on the same topic where we left off of, which is dealing with Christ who is our King. Jesus, the King of Kings, or as I say in, my, in the title of this sermon, the High King. Look here with me at the Gospel of Matthew, and what you'll notice is if you turn to your left, then it's the beginning of the New Testament. It is the ending of the Old Testament, right behind Matthew here. And that makes it significant. This is the first book in the New Testament which is done on purpose. In other words, this book is here on purpose. Where he begins here in Matthew 1.1 is also done on purpose. And it will also kind of connect you back to Ruth where we left off, which is with the genealogy, right? Remember that short genealogy at the ending of Ruth that ends on David? It's the only book that ends on a personal name, which is David. <laughs> well, as we turn the pages to the New Testament, notice what is said here as we beginning uh, are reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, who is Levi, um, one of the twelve. Hear these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Notice the, the three ladies' names there mentioned. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, another lady. That's Bathsheba. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jehoiakim. Jeconi, uh, and, the, and the brothers, and at the time of the de- deportation, uh, sorry, of, to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltil, and Shiltil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of... How do you say that one? Just kidding. Uh, Abiad, <laughs> and Abiad the father of... Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azar, and Azor the father of Zodak, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and the Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband, notice that, of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation 
to Babylon 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken already by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Jesus, this is Your Word to us. And it was given to us on purpose. Nothing is by accident here. Help us to understand what is going on in this first chapter of Matthew, we pray in Your most holy name, Jesus. Amen. As we move to the transition, you know, really from our last series on Ruth to this new one on Advent. Advent being Latin for coming. God's own coming. There are two Advents, by the way. This first one that we read here, and then also a second one that has not yet occurred. So just like the prophets and everybody were anticipating this first Advent, which we already know about now and look back to, so too we look forward also to an Advent in participation and anticipation of, of this Advent, which is the second Advent, which is the end of time. That's a big one. Um, that's a big one. Uh, here, God only splits time in this first advent, right? Uh, between before Christ and, of course, after his, um, after, you know, after his birth and all. It doesn't matter if you say BCE or before the common era or CE common era. Before what common era? Well, it was him. He's still the center, no matter how you parse it out. Uh, he's still the center, no matter if you put AD or BC or BCE or CE. Um, he's still the center of, of the reason why it split. Um, so he splits time in the first advent. The second advent will be the end of all time. All clocks will stop working, and it'll be it. That'll be over. You'll be entered into eternity and ushered there, and he will come again to the earth in his physical body, just like he's doing here in Mary. Now he comes on a white horse with a name that is given to him on his, on his thigh, uh, the sword of the Spirit moving out of His mouth. Uh, great scene there. He is the High King. And so as we look from Ruth, where you have David mentioned at the end, who is going to be the High King. Remember, Judges shows us the need for a king. Ruth shows us kind of how we got a king. Samuel begins to show us the character of this king, this paragon king, this example model king who is David. David. He is the premier king in Israel's history. If, if you're like David, then you're doing good. If you're not like David and you're like Rehoboam, you're doing bad. That's how king, the book of Kings actually uh, splits the two kings 
The good ones are like David. The bad ones are like Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And so here you begin in Matthew, the beginning of the whole New Testament, the very first book, the very first thing said about Jesus. Now just think about this. This is God's Word. He wants us to know these things. He puts them in a certain order. And here's what He wants to know first is a boring genealogy. Right? Shealtiel, all these guys that you just kind of have to make up their names. That's the thing if you're reading. Don't ask. How do you pronounce that? Just make up something. No, but, oh, okay, cool, he knows it. You know. No, I just made up something. It looks right. Um, so here you have a genealogy which normally bores us. In the beginning of the New Testament, you would think that there's going to be some kind of pow, bang, you know, kind of scene. Instead, you get this lineage, this ancestry. So, so, so what's going on here? Interestingly, in the New Testament, there are two important genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Luke chapter 3 holds one, and, and, Luke, uh, and Matthew 1, obviously, here. You start here with Abraham, and you work your way all the way to Jesus. You don't start with Adam, interestingly. Notice that? He doesn't back it all the way up to Adam. He's more concerned with showing you that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. So Abraham being the one who was first given the promise and the nation coming from him. In other words, Israel comes from Abraham, not Adam. And Jesus stands in the line of this promise to Abraham. Also, He's the son of David because He is going to be a king that rules forever. He is the true high king. (laughs) Not just Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, but rather Jesus. He's the highest king. He is what it means to be a high king is just you are over other kings. There are other people ruling. Jesus is the ruler above all rulers. You may not be able to see him if you're not looking with the eye of faith, ruling, but he's ruling now. This is his kingdom, this is his world, and you are his people if you can see that with the eye of faith. The only reason he doesn't step out and show us who he is is because that will end everything. That's like the director of a, if you ever go to a play, it's like the director coming out and saying, okay, play's over. Let me explain a couple of things as you leave. Uh, the show's over. The show is still going on right now, and that's by his grace. He's allowing us time to respond, is the only reason he doesn't step out in full power. Again, Tolkien knew what he was talking about in Lord of the Rings when he has Aragorn wait until he steps out in full power. He just looks like some poor ranger that doesn't really know what he's doing. No, he knows what he's doing. He comes as a lowly servant the first time, does he not? And then he reveals his full glory the second time, and the show's over. So, when the show's over, you need to make sure that you're not holding the enemy's weapon. Because there's no going back and changing sides at that point. What Revelation says near the end is actually, let the one who sins keep sinning, and the one who practices righteousness continue in righteousness. In other words, whatever you're doing at the end is what you'll continue to do for all of eternity. So be about His business now. Because you don't know, just as we read a little moment ago in our readings, you don't know when He's going to come. He's going to come like at the time of Noah. People are just having fun, going shopping, doing, and then they get swept away. This first genealogy in Matthew moves from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. Interestingly, it's focused on Mary. Mary. Now again, you see several times within this genealogy, and I'm not going to pull every... I mean, you know... There's lots of important people here, but we're not going to go through every one of them and take up too much time and bore you, quite frankly. 
Um, the other part to this is this is a summary of his genealogy. This is not the whole thing. These are important people that Matthew sees fit because when you get to Luke, you get an even more condensed version of genealogy. I guess he knows you're going to get bored. So here there's about three or four women who are actually mentioned. We've already talked about them before when we dealt with Ruth. I won't rehearse that again. But I will say, notice how he ends. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now that is not a typical ancient way of talking about and defining a husband. You define the husband as the husband and the wife by the husband. Here, the husband is defined by the wife, who is Mary. No words. Yeah, Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, not the other way around. Because Mary here is the important one for Matthew. Jesus takes on flesh inside of Mary. Which is why in our, in our, uh, on our bulletin, we, we have an icon of that. It's great. Has anybody ever just stopped and thought about it? God took flesh from Mary. In other words, if that's not His mother, then He did not take on flesh. If He did not take on flesh, then He can't be our Savior. According to the Bible. Because He can't die. God can't die. Unless He takes on flesh. In which case He can die. Which He does do for us. That's why Mary is called Theotokos. Which is mother of God. She is the mother of God and yet He created her. He had no beginning. Remember this? <laughs> Jesus is going to drop a bombshell on him later. He goes, guys, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Yahweh. And when he said that, that's two reasons to kill him if you're a Jew. Number one, he's claiming to be more powerful than Abraham. That's nuts, first of all. That's just insane. We got the whole thing from Abraham. So don't even come talk to me about that. The other thing is he claims to be Yahweh. When you make that statement, ego me, which is in the Greek, I am, I, I am, basically I myself am. In other words, he's saying there is nothing that defines me. Like, hi, I'm Marshall, I'm married to Jessica, my father is this, and I work here. And See, all those things are qualifiers. I can't just say I am. Because I didn't arrive here on my own. My mother and father had a part in this thing. So too, my grandparents, and my brother, and my wife, and my kids, and my job. No, I am. It's a statement of being that needs no other. <laughs> so that's another reason because he was claiming to be Yahweh. You don't claim to be Abraham and you don't claim to be Yahweh. They started finding a way to kill him once he made these kind of statements. Before Abraham was, I, he's the son of Abraham, however. So at the same time that he created Abraham, that he's before Abraham, is <laughs> the same time that he actually chooses to join into the line of Abraham, the line of David, into our humanity. He takes on flesh for us. God becomes a human. God needs a diaper change. God has to be breastfed, has to be grown in the womb with an umbilical cord. God chooses to do that. To join in with a... I mean, it's the greatest point of Emmanuel, isn't it? God with us. Yes, He's with us, not just in some kind of spirit, um, where we kind of constantly... No, rather in a very physical way, at a very specific time. You date your birthday from His time. 1,981 years after Christ. Was it when I was born? 32 years ago. 
You see, God took on flesh in time and space, in history, in a real lineage, in a particular place with a particular person, Mary, who had a particular family that stretched all the way back to Abraham and to David. You see, that's why the Bible's interested in boring you with history, with genealogies, with records. It starts out with a record. Why? Because this is not some kind of fairy tale. This is reality. Jesus is the most attested person in all of history. He's most written about person in all of history. And it doesn't take much to believe that. What it takes a lot to believe is that He's the Son of God and He becomes a baby. For us. He becomes needy. The one who holds the world together can't even change his own diaper. That's crazy! Awesome. He becomes one of us in order to save us. Do you see what He's done? That's the good news of the God. That's what separates us from any other world. No world religion claims that. None. He comes after us, not we after Him. That's the difference here. God is doing whatever it takes, including putting on a diaper, to get to us. To rescue us. To finish the plan that was started with Abraham. To finish the plan, back it up in Luke. In Luke, you go all the way from Adam. (laughs) The genealogy actually moves in the opposite direction, interestingly, in Luke. You go from Jesus now all the way down to Adam. And it's Joseph's line, not Mary's. So one Mary, the other Joseph. One's moving from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. The other's Jesus all the way back to Adam. Why is the Bible concerned with this? Because these records matter. These are real historical people. David's a real guy. You can look him up in the history books. He's more real than, than, than anybody else that you've ever studied in history. Or just as real. You know, we, we have more documents, and this is a little scholarly nerd side note, but we have more manuscripts about the Bible and about Jesus' life than we do Caesar. Any of them. Any of the Caesars. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, way more. Iliad, Odyssey, way more. What's happening here is historical. God breaks into our history and changes it forever. And that's why we date even this morning, 2013 years from His coming. From this first advent. Where He, the light of the world, encapsulates Himself into a baby. Into a zygote. Gestating in Mary. This is what we're celebrating. This is, did you not catch this? How clear the Bible is here? Conceived by the whole. Remember that term, conceived again? We saw it last week. You'll see it again this week. You'll see it every week when we say the creed. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then born from Mary. These are important statements of our faith. This is what differentiates us from all other faiths. A lot of faiths that believe in the same morals we have. But not a lot of faiths that have God coming after us. Most of them, you're searching for God. Or you are God. You just don't know it yet. 
it also shows the character of the type of family Jesus comes from. You, know, you just got through visiting with family, most of you, or at least maybe contacted them on the phone if you couldn't get there. Family's important, and although we don't always understand that at the time, when those people are gone, you realize more so their importance. Which ought to caution you after you've lost a couple about how to visit with one another, how to let things slide, how to forgive, you know. There's always tension when you're living somewhere else or visiting with someone. There's always going to be tension. In family, there's always tension, isn't it? Even in the family of God, there's always tension. Why? Because we're real humans. Because we deal with free persons. And even in the church, you say, man, you should go to church and everything should be bliss. It should be a utopia. No, it shouldn't. Even among Jesus' disciples, He didn't run a utopia. Did He? Those nincompoots, they didn't know what to do half the time. Or who He was. Every time He'd do something, they say, Who is this guy? Well, He's already told you several times, did you not hear? And they just can't believe it. It's just tough to process. And so when you come to church, don't expect some utopia. No, there's, there's bad people in church. We're like a hospital. We're going to have sick people. That's okay. It's okay. Jesus says, look, don't worry about the weeds. The weeds are going to grow with the wheat at this point. At the end of time, I will pull up the weeds. If we try to pluck out sinners and the, and, and, and the weeds now in church, we're going to destroy the crop. We're going to destroy the body. Jesus says, look, leave it alone. There's going to be bad people. There's going to be people who talk about people in church. There's going to be bad things that happen in church. But get this, it's still my church. It's still my family. And just, you know, it's like, kind of like my dad. My dad sums it up very, very clearly and succinctly. He says, either you can go to church with hypocrites or go to hell with them. One's short term, the other's long term. Uh, there's going to be hypocrites in church. In this family we have together, we're going to mess up. We're going to need to ask for forgiveness and we're going to need to forgive. Jesus comes from a very interesting family. I mean, if we had time to go through all these guys, not all of them are good. Most of them are really bad. And yet God can redeem through the worst situations. Can't He? That's what the good news... That's why He's come. It's to redeem us from our sins, not in our sins. Not just forgive us and leave us in our mess, but instead clean us up. Teach us how not to go back to that mess. Most times we think, just, just we have a lot of babies in this church, so bear with me on this illustration, but a lot of times we act like God just needs to kind of change our diaper and allow us to keep going in our diaper. Now the point with children, trust me, I've got four of these guys. One of them is very strong-willed against this. As an adult, you need to know how to go yourself. And that's what I'm trying to teach Bo, my three-year-old. But this is what we do in Christianity. We say... No, I, got them. I don't want to do that. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and you just keep changing my diaper. Really? That's not why He died on the cross. Did, did you catch what, what is said here? She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus. You know what Jesus means? Yahweh saves. Literally, Joshua. This is the Greek equivalent to Joshua which literally, again, means Yahweh saves. That's, that's the root of the word is Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name... 
Christ is a title, meaning anointed one. Anointed with who? The Holy Spirit. See, it wasn't, um, you know, when people say Jesus Christ, Christ is not His last name. They didn't say, Mr. Christ, will you have a seat here, please? No, Christ is a title that's given to Him. A title that means He is the anointed one of God who has the Holy Spirit and can give the Spirit freely to all people. He's the only one. Why? Because He's God. And Jesus means God saves. And notice what the latter part of the verse, for He will save His people from their sins. Do you realize that if you are a Christian, God is constantly working, whether you realize it or not, He's constantly working in your life to rid you of your sin. Not just forgive it, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You are moving to none other than being a perfect person. Doesn't Jesus call us to this? Be ye perfect, to quote the King James, as my heavenly Father is perfect. Paul will exhort us to be sanctified entirely. That means everything. Sanctified to God. Holy unto God. You see, in this family, this family has a certain character. Just like your family does. When people think of your family, they think of certain things. You help shape that. God's family, there are holy ones. They have a past, but their future is bright because they're moving toward perfection. Again, like I exhorted you last week, Don't let your past weigh you down. That doesn't define you. Who defines you is Jesus. And I would ask you, is there any limit there? We limit God. We tell God, you can't deal with that. There's no way I can deal with that. My anger, my lust, my pride, you can't deal with that. And we limit God. God is not limited. God can deliver. Jesus can save. That's His name. He can save you. He can save me. Praise be to God, He can. And no one can tell you otherwise. And yet we sell ourselves short. We limit God and say, no, you can't have that. That's mine. That's not the right response ever. Our posture always as Christians is one of openness. This. This. The cross. There's no protection here. I'm wide open for attack. This family has a certain character and the weeds won't be jerked out of this family yet, but they will one day. There's coming a day of judgment. But it's not yet. That's why, again, this is God's grace. The very minutes that we have on the clock this morning is God's grace to us, allowing us to be made perfect.
He won't stop until you're made perfect. C.S. Lewis, again, we're kind of going through this in, in, our, uh, in our smoke. We haven't got here yet, but we use this illustration about your teeth, which Christopher would love, or is going to love when, when we get there. He says, we want the dentist just to give us some painkiller for our, our tooth. We just want the pain to stop. That's all. When we get to the dentist, he wants to take the tooth. We say, uh-uh, no, 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 just, just a little pain reliever here. That's all I'm looking for. Just a quick fix. God says, no, I'm going to have to take the tooth. That's the ultimate fix. And he, and he won't, listen to me, trust me, I know this from personal experience, God, if God puts His finger on something in your life, He won't stop until you give it to Him. Just keep, and either you will turn away from Him and close up shop on Him and wonder where God is one day, or you'll open up your life and allow Him to pull the tooth. Paul, again, says it this way. He says, put it to death. Whatever it is, put it to death. Or it'll kill you. It's like cancer. It must be removed. The symptoms can't be addressed alone. It must be dug out, cut out, and surgically removed by the great physician. The good news is, he can do that. He's got a steady hand. He knows what needs to be taken and what needs to be saved in your life, in my life. And that's what he's come to do. He's come to bring light to those dark places that we've covered up. Let's open them up. Just as you're going to open up presents, let's open them up to God and allow Him to come into those areas of our life and redeem those areas. He can make something beautiful out of the mess that you've made. It's kind of like a painting. I'll try to paint whatever, do this ugly thing. He can come along behind me as the master painter and and weave within all of that ugliness something beautiful. It's what He did with the cross, isn't it? A torture device? An execution symbol? And He turns into a symbol of life. He can do that in your life. (laughs) He can do it in my life. Praise be to God. So, He comes from a rich heritage. We know that from his genealogy. Comes from an interesting family, but a family with character, a family that loves God and turns to God. I would ask you this morning: Do you know his name? His name saves. That name, Jesus. When you don't know what to do, call on his name. He is salvation. Salvation is not something He brings out of His pocket. Rather, God Himself in Jesus Christ is saving. In other words, when you are in relationship with Him, that's what saves you. Not something He hands you. Rather, God in you. Just as God came into Mary, so too He can come into your life. And He can grow something in your life That is beautiful. Salvation is His name. Do you know His name? Have you ever called on His name? His name is Jesus. And He's come to save you from your sins. It's the sweetest name you'll ever say. Do you stand in this rich heritage? In this family that we've talked about? As you realize, you don't have to be perfect to enter. (laughs) But that's where your end will be. 
He's going to make us perfect in Him. We're all on that track. By the Holy Spirit and by sanctifying grace, He can do that. Are you allowing Him to do that? Or are you stymieing that? Are you covering yourself? Be open to God today. And when you do that, when you open up your life, you will be able to share His character. You will be able to actually reflect God. That's just that's mind-blowing. Most of the stuff you come across in Christianity is actually mind-blowing if we stopped and thought about it for just a second. We can reflect Jesus. Never be Him, but reflect Him. At this church, let's be a good reflection. Come to Him this morning. Call on His name for salvation. And He'll save you from your sin. Amen.